This evening's reading is from 1 Peter, starting at the first verse. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not yet seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of God. Good evening. I'm Sam, one of the team here. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and this time to delve into it together now. Thank you for the hope that you've given us in Jesus. Would you stir hope up in us this evening that we would increasingly be a family full of hope? In Jesus' name, amen. Imagine these three scenarios. What do they all have in common? A married couple, John and Amy, filing for divorce. A young man, Steve, quitting his job. A woman, Lucy, putting her child up for adoption. Clearly life is complex and there are all sorts of factors to bear in mind. But that aside, what do those scenarios have in common? Three words. I gave up. But imagine again, John and Amy on the brink of divorce, reaching out in one last attempt to salvage their marriage. Steve, sharing his work frustrations with friends who pray with him, helping him to persevere. Lucy, sharing her burden with her church family, and with their help, finding the strength to carry on. The same scenarios, the same challenges, 
but with vastly different outcomes. What's the difference? One word, and it's not Jesus at this point. One word, almost. I almost gave up. In those scenarios, John, Amy, Steve, Lucy held on to hope and found the strength to carry on. That little word almost turns a funeral into a testimony. And that's what we're thinking about tonight, hope. The second part of Bear Grylls' autobiography came out a few weeks ago. The book tells um, the story of the last 20 years or so as he developed his TV career, starting with Man vs. Wild. I don't know if any of you have seen any of those. But the book's title, Never Give Up, or NGU, as Bear likes to abbreviate it with his friends, something of a catchphrase for the adventurer, and fitting given the innumerable and unimaginable uh, challenges that he's faced in some of the toughest climates that our planet has to offer. Never give up. Well, tonight we're looking at hope and how to stir up hope. It's my belief and my experience that as Christians we can talk about hope, we can, uh, we can have this extraordinary hope, but that it can fade over time. It sort of goes into the background and other things sort of come to the fore. But brothers and sisters, we have an extraordinary hope, as we're going to see. And that hope is no good if it lies dormant. It's no good having riches in the bank if we leave them to gather dust. We need to send off, get that pin reminder, go to the ATM and draw on the riches that we have stored up for us. Our hope needs to be drawn upon, awakened and stirred up. So we're going to look at what hope is, why we need it, where we find it and how to stir it up. And we're going to see, yes, that our hope is found in Jesus, but that the journey doesn't stop there. We don't just sit back and twiddle our thumbs. So firstly, what is hope? Well, we don't really need it explaining to us, but just so we're all on the same page, I suppose we feel hope. But it's more than a feeling, it's a a sense of expectation, desire, anticipation, a belief that things will get better. It seems the Bible views it as something something like a commodity that we all possess. The question is not whether we have it, but where we put it. But that said, sometimes it does appear hope can be entirely lost. In Job's utter desolation... He asks of those miserable comforters, where then is my hope? Who can see any hope for me? Will it go down to the gates of death? Will we descend together into the dust? And if you're with Job on the ash heap this evening, that's okay. That's okay. Please bear with me as I speak of hope. And if that is you, may I gently encourage you that even Job holds on to a sliver of hope. Later on, he declares, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. He knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I'll come forth as gold. Job holds on to hope. In the Psalms, the sons of Korah lead Israel in worship with the refrain, 
Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. The Bible acknowledges the full range of human emotion and experience and calls us to put our hope in the one place that will not disappoint, in God. Turning to the New Testament, in Hebrews we're told that God confirmed his promises with an oath in order to make their steadfastness abundantly clear. He did this so that we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. Do you see how our hope is described there? As tangible, firm, secure, an anchor for the soul. Let's run with that definition, hope, an anchor for the soul. Why do we need hope? Number two. Why do we need hope? Well, we need hope for the same reason a ship needs an anchor, to keep us safe, to keep us secure, as the storms come and go. Hope is like an anchor that keeps our little souls safe in the storms of life. We've all been through storms, and we'll all go through storms that are yet to come. We need hope to weather the storms of life. We need hope to navigate the tough times. And we need to be able to navigate the tough times if we're going to cope with life. And of course, the bigger the storm, the greater the anchor that we need. Light winds only require a little anchor. Consider those day-to-day -day storms illness or losing something or a penalty fare on the bus. They're annoying, right? But if you're ill you know, with a cold, there's, there's hope of recovery you know, within the week or next week you'll be back at work and back with your friends. And in the meantime, there's hope of a duvet day curled up with a book or Netflix while we recover. We don't give up in those situations, do we? They're frustrating, but we don't think twice. We crack on, we persevere because there's that hope. I wonder how many of you have had your COVID booster jab. I know a couple of us have. And uh, it knocked me for six. Sore arm, hot and cold, awful night's sleep, and then sort of had to take two days to sort of sleep and rest and recover, cancel plans. Why do we do it? For the hope of greater immunity down the line reduce symptoms later on. Hope is the anchor in the storm, holding us firm and getting us through. But bigger storms require a bigger anchor. Let's take it to an extreme. Viktor Frankl survived the Holocaust. He, you might have heard of him. He wrote Man's Search for Meaning, having survived the concentration camps. He wrote about his experience and his observations. He, uh, he saw that as everything was taken from him and those around him, people responded in a few different ways. Some just gave up. One morning they just wouldn't get out of bed, they wouldn't get dressed. Others held on to the hope of their former hopes, those little anchors being restored. You know, if we get through our, our work, our status, our family will be 
restored, which got them through, but for many led to depression when they survived, but things didn't return to how they had been. He observed that to maintain inner liberty, that those who did maintain inner liberty, they had a reference point, an, an eternal and external reference point that was outside of themselves. In these camps, everything is taken from you, everything that's good, all those normal little anchors, your job, your status, your home, quite likely your family and health. Gone, how can you go on? You need an external, infinite hope, a why greater than yourself. For us, it's more likely to be a broken relationship or a cancer diagnosis or a sin that we're struggling to shake. As Nietzsche said, he who has a why can bear almost anything. Frankl's observations remind us of our mortality, that we entered the world with nothing and that we leave it that way. When all else has been taken from us, we need a hope that goes beyond the grave. We need hope in the testing times. But I put it to you, we need it in the good times too. In the bad times, the hard times, we cry out, how long will it ever end? But in the good times, we ask, is this it? And so too, we need hope of something more, something beyond, something greater. NGU, while never giving up, is only possible if our anchor is strong enough. So, thirdly, where do we find hope? Wow, we find it in all sorts of places, don't we? I've mentioned a few of them. Health and doctors, vaccines and scientists, work, rest, weekends, holidays, maybe even occasionally a politician. We find hope in relationships, the possibility of the one, the hope of finding true love. Many submit themselves to the expertise of programmers behind the, the many dating apps. And in the case of Married at First Sight, hope is entirely placed in the hands of three relationship experts. If we're having a hard day, we place our hope in a relaxed evening and an early night. Having a hard week, well, we look forward to the weekend. Having a hard season at work, we put our hope in that next holiday. Claire's mum is a paediatric oncologist, and we were speaking this week about hope. And there can't be many professions that are more gut-wrenching than that, having to share news with children and their families, good or bad. Parents come with the hope of good news, of complete recovery. But sometimes that isn't the case and that news has to be shared. Her observation was fascinating that on those times, hope is, is devastated, but it, it comes back, it, it adjusts. We adjust, we recalibrate. Hope becomes making it to the next holiday, the next, sorry, like the next Christmas or the next birthday. And these are all good things, health, holidays, family, relationships. But they come and go, 
and won't ultimately last. Jesus offers a different sort of hope. A hope that goes beyond this life and all its troubles. Yet a hope that infuses this life, transforms it now. So let's look at our passage. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Peter here is overflowing with God's praise as he writes to his brothers and sisters. Why? Because of this incredible mercy that our Heavenly Father has towards us. In his kindness, he has given us new birth into a living hope. New birth is a gift. We hear about it elsewhere in the New Testament. Jesus, particularly speaking with Nicodemus. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Those who come to Jesus, who believe in him, are born again. And Peter says here, we're born into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Now, the context of Peter's letters that he's writing, as we heard in those opening lines, to God's elect, his chosen ones, but they're scattered, they're exiles, scattered across all those provinces. And there are clues in the letter that they're suffering for their faith. With their lives on the line, they receive this letter from Peter, telling them they've been born into a living hope. And suddenly life, uh, suddenly death doesn't look quite as menacing. The living hope is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus has gone through death. He's risen, he's alive, and he is our hope. Our hope isn't an anchor made of metal, but a person who is alive and breathing. Bear Grylls in Never Give Up, um, he talks about taking these celebrities out on these adventures and uh, shares a couple of anecdotes of times where he'd be rappelling down a cliff face or a, a frozen waterfall and he'd use slightly suspicious anchors to hold the rope in place. And uh, he said one time he used a mobile phone, sort of wedged in a crack. Apparently he set it to kind of the timer to go off, you know, after a number of minutes. And when it vibrated, he trusted it was sort of rig or free and the rope would, would come back and they'd be at the bottom beforehand, safe. Another time he uh, said that he used a frozen chocolate bar sort of shoved into the snow. I mean, crazy, crazy stories. But I think he said that he would have a backup, but the, sort of, the celebrity often wouldn't notice the sort of backup they had in place. Um, but those, those anchors are... Uh, you know, they might be fun and they might sort of do the job for a moment, but they're flimsy and, uh, and uh, they don't, don't last, don't hold for long. But our anchor is a person who we heard in Hebrews has gone behind the inner sanctuary, gone behind the curtain. He is there and we're, we're attached. He's there, we're in him. 
And Hebrews 12, later in that letter, Hebrews 12 tells us that Jesus endured the cross, scorned its shame for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy? What was the joy that was set before Jesus as he came to earth and went to the cross? Well, he had, he had everything before. But what, what did the cross achieve? Us. The cross brought us back to him. It opened up the way for us to return. We were the joy set before him. For our sake, he went to the cross. He redeemed us, brought, brought us back, opened up the way to friendship. So this is our hope. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Our hope is that there's an inheritance kept for us to be revealed with Christ in the last time. An inheritance that's safe from all the roller coasters of this world. An inheritance of praise, glory and honour, we're told, that Jesus will give us when the genuineness of our faith is finally revealed. And this living hope, this new birth, note it isn't dependent on us or our efforts, our pleasing God. New birth into this living hope is for all who turn to Jesus, who repent and believe. That's what makes Christianity distinct from every other religion. Salvation in Jesus. Salvation requires only that we turn to him, the one who ransomed many. But in my experience, we can know that, we can hear sermons about it, but we can forget about it too. We can leave it untapped. So finally, how do we stir it up? How do we stir it up? Well, we stir it up by living lives of hope. Does knowing that our hope is in Christ mean we just sit back and twiddle our thumbs until he's revealed? No, anything but. That's not what Peter says at all. The rest of the chapter, if you read it, is full of imperatives shaped by this living hope. And he begins by observing that in all this, we rejoice. We greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. He explains that these trials have come to the proven genuineness of our faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. He continues, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. And finally, in verses 22 and 3, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. So what would it look like to live lives together, increasingly full of hope? Rejoicing 
being filled with inexpressible joy, setting our hope on the grace to be brought us, not conforming to our evil desires, but imitating the holiness of God. Living here as temporary residents, knowing that it's not our own land and having a holy respect for God and loving one another deeply from the heart. We have together been born into eternal life. So let's love one another deeply as we have been loved by Christ. And we can stir our hope by reminding each other that we've been born again into this hope. Sometimes I lower my sights. All I can think about is getting through to the next weekend or the next holiday. But you can remind me that we have more to look forward to than that, more to enjoy, more to place our hope in than that. We've been born again into this eternal life, that Jesus has conquered the grave, risen from the dead, and so will we. You'll all know that this weekend is the Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend. And it's tempting, as I see the adverts, and consider this chance to be drawn in, to place my hope in the goods, the experiences on offer, in a moment of retail therapy. But we all know that the shiny things fade, the technology is upgraded, the new things get broken, and that the money in our accounts will only go so far. I'm preaching to myself here. It's good to enjoy buying and giving gifts, but the real hope is found in our living hope, Jesus Christ, and our new birth in him. So as the adverts assail us tomorrow and in the run-up to Christmas, let's look instead to the one who gave up everything and was born in a stable. Let's put our hope in him. As we come into land, imagine finally those same people, John and Amy. They found a counsellor who helped them communicate and work through their difficulties. And now their marriage is stronger than ever. Steve, with the prayer support of his two friends, persevered in his job. His boss moved on, the pressure was relieved and he loves now the freedom that he has at work. Lucy, supported by her family, her church family, found the strength to continue to raise her child. Job asked, where then is my hope? Who can see any hope for me? Will it go down to the gates of death? Will we descend together into the dust? Well, we have a living hope because of Jesus, who in the words of Job, went down to the gates of death, descended together with us into the dust and rose gloriously, victoriously to new and eternal life on the other side. Let's pray. In the words of Paul to the Romans, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.